Welcome to Take Your Stand, the podcast of Here I Stand Ministries. I'm your host, Luke Seibert. Let's explore more of what it means to live out the gospel by clinging to the Word and to one another. Welcome back. Taking a couple weeks break, and but now getting back into the podcast and starting this next mini-series on aspects of the local church. And we'll look at different aspects of um, what defines the church, the purposes of the church, different elements uh, about local congregations. But So I'm looking forward to getting into that over the next uh, several weeks. But let's begin with foundational. What really defines a local church? You know, How is it a local congregation? How is it different from a Bible study, a group of Christians getting together, just people hanging out at a park, or even just a family? What is distinct or unique uh, biblically about a local church? And we'll get into that uh, this this week. The first instance of the word church in the New Testament is actually found in the book of Matthew, in Matthew 16, verse 18, which is there in the context. Jesus is asking his disciples, who do people say that I am? And that's where Peter says, well, you're the, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God, uh, paraphrasing there just a little bit. And Jesus says, you know, blessed are you because man hasn't revealed this to you, but my Father. And then he says this, I say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not over <clears throat> will not overpower it. That's kind of vague. Doesn't really tell us what church the what, what a church is, and this is more speaking about the universal church. About uh, but what, there are some aspects that we can learn. The word uh, church there is ecclesia. It's a Greek word that means the called out ones and. In the secular setting, or how it was generally used at the, the time of the New Testament, it referred to a group of people who came out together for a a political gathering. The group that made up the, the, the group that made up that political assembly was the ecclesia as they came together. So that helps us understand a little bit uh, to people who were called together for a purpose. But what this what this uh, passage uh, especially highlights is that we belong to Christ. That we are His. Uh, it's a, we are people who belong to Him. Whatever else we know about the local church, uh, that has to be foundational. Is that it is made up of those who belong to Jesus. Other people may come and visit who don't belong to Jesus, who, who have not yet believed in Him for salvation. But those who make up the church, uh, in its essence, are those who belong to Jesus. Our understanding about the local church becomes a little clearer as we move on to the next instance of church in the New Testament. Also in Matthew, uh, Matthew 18, verse 17. These are the only places in the Gospels actually that actually use the word uh, church. But here in Matthew 18, the context is on church discipline, where Jesus is saying, that, you know, if, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him. And if he doesn't listen to you, then, then bring two or three others and goes through that process. And then he says this, he says, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Now, there's several things that we can can learn from this passage here. Again, it's the same word, ecclesia, meaning the called out ones, those who belong to a particular assembly. And we see that here, that they had to be able to gather together in a particular place to be told. You know, there wasn't an email or text message or Zoom calls. So for them to be able to be, t- be told like that, to be able to confront this person, 
they need to be able to gather together. Yeah, they think maybe they could have had a circular letter, but uh, the, the implication here as the context talks about is the people being in one place, just as you being able to go to your brother or to take two or three with you. It's an in-person gathering. So we see here that the church uh, that is being generally referred to is a, a local congregation of people who are able to gather together in a particular location. We also see here that not only do these people belong to Christ, but they also have a commitment to each other to help each other grow in the Lord. Here the church uh, isn't just there um, to, to gather to have a good time, but to help help each other. That there's someone in their midst who is willfully and stubbornly persisting in sin. And the church, uh, through the individual members and as a whole body, if necessary, should seek to help that person uh, turn from that sin, turn back to the, to the Lord. And these implications are expounded more in other passages of the New Testament as you see more of what defines a local church. I believe that biblically speaking, a local church is a group of people who belong to Christ and have a commitment to help each other grow spiritually as they submit to spiritual leaders, observe the two ordinances, and regularly gather together. It's kind of a, of a mouthful, but those five points that they belong to Christ, uh, they have a commitment to each other spiritually, they submit to, to leaders, uh, observe the ordinances, and they regularly gather together, uh, I think are true, what defines a local church. They, maybe more other people have, maybe have, uh, some people have less, but those are what I think uh, mark a true church. And We've already talked about those first two elements uh, briefly. Let's look at the other three, the, the spiritual leaders the ordinances and the gathering together and how these help us understand this is what truly marks a local church and distinguishes that from just a group of friends getting together. Uh, we're not regular, we don't like the idea of submitting to leadership uh, generally and our, our natural tendencies is to kind of buck against that. But scripture makes this very clear that there are spiritual leaders that a local congregation is to submit to. And these spiritual leaders are designated. They're designated spiritual leaders for a particular congregation. We see this played out in multiple ways in the New Testament. <clears throat> One very clear passage is Acts chapter 20. Uh, there, Paul is on his way back to Jerusalem, where he's going to be arrested and then sent to Rome eventually. But on his journey there, he, he stops off and he calls the elders of the church in Ephesus. He, he calls them to meet him, and he gives them in a way, a final commission, something for them to remember and to think about and some direction for them to do. And as he does, he he explains more of what their purpose is and what their role is. He says in Acts, uh, chapter, uh, Acts chapter 20, verse 28, he says, Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. So there Paul is saying that the elder's role is to guard, to oversee, and to shepherd a local congregation. Um, they couldn't do that for all the believers in the world, but those among whom the Holy Spirit had made them overseers in a particular location. And for them, that was Ephesus, uh, the believers there in Ephesus that they were to care for. But the, the idea of these are the elders, and for this particular congregation is central to that idea. Uh, James chapter 5, verse 14, 
and also 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 2, also emphasize this idea of uh, particular elders for a particular congregation. Uh, the, and biblically speaking, elder, pastor, overseer, uh, it's all the same office. Uh, the terms are used interchangeably, and we'll get into some more of that here in a future episode. But when I'm using the word elder, I could just as, just as easily use the word pastor for that. Um, but not only are there certain just leaders, whether they're pastors or whatever the title is, for a particular congregation, but the members of the church are called to submit to them. First uh, Peter 5 there talks about submitting to the elders. But Hebrews 13, verse 17, makes this very clear. It says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. That's a weighty responsibility for the elders, but also helps us see why we're called to submit to them. It doesn't mean that the, the, the pastors dictate everything about our lives. and uh, That's not what this is saying. But the idea of submitting to their, to their, to their leadership. And we'll get into more of what that means, the implications of that here in a future episode, as I said. But there is this idea of submitting to particular designated uh, leaders for a particular congregation. And that the word designated is important because the leaders of the church aren't just anyone. It's not just all the fathers. It's not just the oldest members. It's specific, it's specific men who are chosen to lead the church. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, and then also James chapter 3, verse 1, talk about this, that there needs to be a desire for, uh, the elders must have a desire to lead, and James warns about not many of you should become teachers, and explains why. Bobby Jameson in his book, The Path to Being a Pastor, The Path to Becoming a Pastor, The Path to Being a Pastor, um, is an excellent resource that talks about that and the importance of that. And also we see in Acts chapter 14, verse 23, Paul and Barnabas, they're going back, visiting the churches they planted, and it says that an appointed elders for them in every, in every church. It wasn't just, oh, here's the men's, and it's just by default, they're the elders. They were appointed, that they were chosen for that task and for that congregation. So that's a few passages that talk about the importance of submitting to designated spiritual leaders and the, how they, that is central to the idea of a local church. And in fact, in Titus, Titus chapter 1, Paul says that part of what remained for establishing churches is that there would be elders appointed. He, that's one of the tasks that he had given to Titus um, there in Titus chapter 1. So that's the spiritual leader aspect. Uh, there's also the aspect that we talked about uh of the two ordinances, uh, being the ordinance of baptism and the Lord's Supper. Now, I'll just be upfront. These are more drawn from more of a theological standpoint than from specific verses that, that say uh, a church must practice baptism and Lord's Supper. It's more of a theological construction, but we do see the pattern of the of churches in the New Testament practicing these and their centrality to what it means to be the church. Um, baptism is an entrance into a uh, public entrance into the family of God. That when we're, we believe in the Lord, when we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are baptized into the the universal church. We are baptized into the family of God. The uh, the Father has adopted us. All that happens at the moment when we believed, 
is not contingent upon water baptism. But water baptism is the public uh, profession of that, where you're saying, I publicly identify with Christ and I'm uh, becoming part of his, I'm part of his family now. So baptism marks that beginning. The Lord's Supper is where we remember what Christ has done, that we belong to him, and our commitment to one another to help each to help ourselves and to help others grow spiritually. Uh, Jonathan Lehman refers to it as the regular family meal. That's what he, the Lord's Supper is for a church. He goes into both of those elements: how baptism is the entrance, the public entrance into the family, uh, to the family of the church, and then the Lord's Supper being that regular family meal in the book Rediscover Church that he wrote with Colin Hansen. Um, a great book. I think uh, some chapters he went a little far with some of the Reformed theology aspects, but understanding what the essence of the local church is, uh, in many ways, I think is, is a helpful resource there. <clears throat> uh, but he's not the only one who talks about these two ordinances being central to the idea of well, what is what is the essence of a local church. Uh, John Calvin um, talks about this a lot and uh, not not a lot, but he, he talks about that in, in his his writings, and there's an article that explains that uh, there in the show notes. There, and other people have as well talked about this, and we see in the pattern of the New Testament how uh, these are played out. This idea of baptism being the entrance into a local assembly, uh, be marking the beginning of it, and then the Lord's Supper being an ongoing family meal aspect. Because when you think about it, if the church is made up of those who belong to Christ, then uh, it should be all of those who are willing to make that profession, who are saying, you know, I identify with Christ and I'm willing to commit to him and to be part of his family. And that's what baptism is. And we see in Acts chapter 2 where the beginning of the church takes place it's with the Holy Spirit falling upon the disciples and those who had gathered with them in Peter's first sermon. And then he, he gives that, and it says in Acts chapter 2, verse 41 and 42, So then those who had received his word were baptized, and that day there were added 3,000 souls. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to breaking bread and to prayers. And there we see that pattern of them believing the message of the gospel, being baptized, and then entering into the life of the local church. Now, great, the church just had begun that day, but we see that, that pattern played off, how baptism being that, not initiation in that sense, but that marking that beginning of uh, membership in a way within a local congregation. And then for the Lord's Supper, we see this played out in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. There, Paul is turning to some more um, practical aspects of the, local, of the gathered church, and there he, he's gives it some pretty harsh rebukes about their abuse of the Lord's Supper. But he says this in 1 Corinthians 11, verses 18 through 20. He says, For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that divisions exist among you. And in part, I believe it. For there must also be factions among you, so that those who are approved may become evident, uh, may become evident among you. Therefore, when you meet together, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. And he goes on there to talk about how, the proper use of it. But in those verses there, we see that central to Paul's idea of what it means to gather as a church 
is to celebrate the Lord's Supper. Now, he doesn't go on to specify every time you meet, you have to eat the Lord's Supper. It's as often as you eat this. Uh, it could be weekly, monthly, quarterly, uh, however long. But that it should be a regular practice. And central to the idea of what it means for us to gather together is that we make a point to celebrate the Lord's Supper. Now, Paul he makes a very strong argument for that. And we can make a, a strong argument for that as well, theologically, when we understand what is involved with the Lord's Supper of celebrating and remembering what the Lord has done for us and also our commitment to one another, to helping each other grow spiritually and to examine our own selves. And we see that. Um, and uh, <clears throat> so that's the, just briefly about the two ordinances and how those seem to be marks of what a true church really is. And then the last one we want to talk about is regularly gathering together. I believe this is central to the idea of what does it mean to be a local church. And I believe that scripture also testifies to this. That it's central to the idea of what it means to be the ecclesia. That the Greek word behind the word church. It means those who are called out. Um, not called out so much separate in that sense, but called together. Called together for a purpose. That they were uh, called to an assembly to conduct political business. That's how the, the Greek culture used the term. But that idea is carried over to the church as they gather together. And in fact, all throughout the New Testament, we see it's, it's assumed that the church is going to gather. That, yes, there is a command in Hebrews to, to not forsake the assembling together. But there it's placed almost as if, okay, you guys are gathering, so don't stop. And that attitude is presented all throughout the New Testament. Uh, there in, it, in 1 Corinthians, throughout that epistle, Paul uses such phrases as, when you assemble or when you come together, that assumption you are coming together. First uh, Corinthians chapter 5, verse 4, chapter 11, verses 17, 18, 20, 31, uh, uh, 33, 34, excuse me, not 31, 33 and 34. Then also chapter 14, verse 26. It's just assumed over and over again that the church is going to gather together. Uh, and it wasn't just uh, gathering as a family. It was a public gathering. Uh, Acts chapter 2 verse 46 talks about this as well as chapter 20 verse 20. In public uh, it can be uh, it's going to vary depending on what level of persecution the church is experiencing but gathering together uh, corporately is central to the idea of what a, a church is. And that you'll see Paul address uh, people as give a greeting to someone and say and the church in your house referring to that the, the church was meeting in their house. But Paul never says the church of your house. It's a subtle distinction, but what he's saying is a church isn't just a family. It's a group of people who choose to gather together. <clears throat> and this is also substantiated by the fact that we see multiple churches within a geographical region. That it wasn't just enough, oh, we're part of the universal church, part of the, the bride of Christ. But there are local uh, particular congregations that were able to gather together in different regions. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 2, Paul addresses his letter to the churches of Galatia. Galatia was, was a region, but there were multiple churches there. Uh, later on in that same chapter, in verse 22, he would sit, talk about the churches uh, of Judea. Multiple churches within that region. In Romans chapter 16, verse 4, all the churches of the Gentiles multiple churches there all these come together to help us see that 
this idea of a specific group of people coming together in a specific location uh, is a central idea of what does it mean to be the church. And we can't really fulfill a lot of the purposes of the church if we're all just separate and we don't come together. And We'll get into more of that, uh, Lord willing, in our next episode. But that's really what I believe defines a local church, that it is a group of people who are committed to help each other grow spiritually as they submit to designated leaders, uh, observe the ordinances, and regularly gather together. That's what distinguishes a local church from, say, a Bible study. Yeah, a Bible study would often be made up of those who belong to Christ. Uh, They're studying the Word together and uh, they're meeting together. But they're not submitting to designated leaders in the sense that Scripture presents uh, elders, pastors. Uh, They don't have the same commitment of spiritual growth that members of a church should have. And they probably don't practice the ordinances. That's also why a particular uh, single family um, doesn't make up a church. Uh, they're not regularly gathered together in a way that's different from what they're just doing on a family basis. And uh, the father isn't just their elder by default. Scripture warns about that, uh, that not many should become teachers, that it should be uh, men who meet certain qualifications and have a desire to do that and are designated by the church. And, and so a church can meet in a home. Uh, absolutely. Scripture testifies to that in many ways. But just a group of friends getting together and the men sort of leading that in the home is not necessarily is not a church in and of itself. That there needs to be a certain men who are designated to lead. There needs to be a commitment to helping helping each other grow. Uh, it's more than just oh we, we enjoy each other's company. We're getting together. So that's what I believe essentially defines a local church. There's a lot of flexibility in how that plays out. Whether there's a a single pastor, whether there's a plurality of elders, whether there's a bishop, um, how often the ordinances are practiced. Uh, we some talk about baptism, which we've covered in a previous episode. Um, how that commitment to help each other grow in Christ, how that's played out, can can vary in some ways, in terms of maybe programs or other things that happen. There can be variety that happens there, but uh, with within that variety, this is what the core elements are, and so. Uh, Lord willing, we'll be breaking that down more in coming episodes, looking at some of those aspects, uh, and diving into more of those in more detail. But I said, hopefully next week we'll begin looking at the purposes of the local church. If this is what defines a church, if this is what a church really is, what's our purpose? What is it, what's the purpose of them submitting to leaders? What's the purpose of them gathering together? And so we'll break into that. And I look forward into these, these next episodes and talking about the aspects of local churches. Uh, But until next time, read the word and take your stand. Thank you for listening to the podcast. I hope it was an encouragement and a blessing. To find out more information about Here I Stand Ministries, check out hisministries.com. Scripture quotations are from the NASB, the New American Standard Bible, copyright 1971-1995 by the Lockman Foundation, used by permission, all rights reserved.